This podcast is offered by Jikoji Zen Center on the web at jikoji.org. Our programs are made possible by donations from people like you. You all joining us um, on this lovely summer day at Jikoji. I hope it's, uh, it's nice where you are, wherever you're joining in from. And if not, then I hope you're enjoying it anyway. Um, I was standing out uh, waiting for the room to be set up for our circle in here and watching the turkeys uh, do their strolls through the, through the grounds here on the land. And the thought just occurred to me, it's kind of in reference to the talk I'm I'm thinking about giving, uh, who knows what it, the talk will actually end up, but it certainly occurred to me that how much like those turkeys we are. We just, <laughs> we just gather, you know, we're always looking like somebody tell me what to do. Mom, what, where, you know, where, where are we going? What are we doing? And oh, the late one, oh, I have to scurry behind to catch up with the whole, with the whole group. Um, and enjoying the lovely breezes that are circulating around here, uh, around the Zendo this morning. So we had uh, a nice day of the Zenkai yesterday. So I feel happy that I could be here for that and stay overnight and be here for this day too, together with everyone. Um, because it's such a refuge for us, I feel, to come to this temple um, and or join in from on the virtual temple and be together to feel where we are, to see where we are in our lives and to relax in to wherever we are. It's really a great gift that we've given ourselves to come together and that we've given all of us as a Sangha, but also that we've given and are giving to everyone else, whether whether they know it or not, or whether we know it or not. Uh, sometimes we forget, or we think that, the, that this, we forget how far this practice extends, even when we think we're not having any effect on anything in the world, uh, much of our personal lives. But um, there are ways it does extend, and that's, that's what we sit down to sense, to feel in our body, and to see um, in our mind, and to see in the world around us. Um, and we can only give this gift to ourselves and to others, um, because it's been given to us by others, and all of our Buddha ancestors, and also by the land that we walk on and sit on. So many um, ancestors, many of which we don't know, who aren't recorded, uh, who didn't leave words behind. And I often think of our prehistoric ancestors um, because they too play a part in where we are how we are right here, right now. 
So we touched a bit on a few themes yesterday. Um, and I'll pick up on some of those. Um, but essentially, we, we always have this question, it seems to me, of what can I do, or what can, what can we do, or what can be done even about the way the world is. It seems so separate. Uh, so I think someone said yesterday, I think it was Todd said, oh, this, we're in this sanctuary now, but out there, but, but actually we bring all of out there inside us and it, it truly is a sanctuary we're in. So that's why we, why we do come together because we know that. And we know the, the energy, the encouragement and even the empowerment that it gives us to come together. Um, but the outside is the inside and the inside is the outside. Um, so we're all sharing all, all, what it is to be human with all the joys and sorrows and the, 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 um, the ancient wrongdoings, the greed, the hatred, the delusion, we all have tasted those. We all know those in some way for ourselves. So much is swirling around the world um, today with COVID-19 and fires and floods and climate disasters, melting ice, rising seas, and then, then socially immigration injustices and deep divisions in societies around the world. So naturally we, we are impacted by those, we think about those, we feel, we feel those actually. They affect our nervous systems. And the specific circumstances are different, but human beings have always dealt with dire circumstances. It's also part of our being alive. There have always been disasters, floods and fires, wars, um, all, all the human conditions they may be look have looked different. Some of them actually looked a lot the same. So with all this good news that's coming to us every day from that world out there, well, how do we, uh, how do we keep open-hearted and open-minded? So all I wanted to touch on uh, a way that I find helps keep me balanced and perhaps you will, you will resonate with that as well. Um, it's kind of a through line from in Buddha Dharma from early Buddhism um, through, through all the different traditions. Um, I find it really worth looking at again, it, it, examining perhaps incurring not examining in the in the way of i'm going to pose a question and then i'm going to analyze it and figure it out but just recalling that uh, this is the condition of being human and and here is one way we can do something about it that we can open to it in a way sometimes it's almost like not doing anything about it 
But what I mean is, uh, a, a, is about self-view. So that's what I want to talk about a bit. It's about holding on to this idea that we are, that we are separate and that we have to figure everything out and that we are responsible for, um, for figuring it out. Someone else, um, Hogan brought up figuring out. He was talked about his practice and noticing um, that's, that's a place where we often want to go. Fi fixing it was actually what he said, but we figure it out so that we can fix it. And in a way that's like reifying ourselves again. Um, because we have within us a place where we don't need to fix it. And that's the place we, um, we can access and we can see through our meditation practice and through being together through the forms that we follow. I mean, anything can do it because it's, it's always there, this, um, this place where we don't have self-identification and where we don't need to figure it out and fix it. So this, this manifests particularly in humans with the language in views and opinions. And I certainly know that well. I think we all do in some measure, but, but some people have a more propensity to, um, to have a view and opinion than others. So being aware of where one's own propensities are is really helpful. the power of views and opinions we chanted in uh, the Metta Sutta, not holding to fixed views. So that's the key word. <coughs> that's the key word is the holding or the clinging to or the attachment to. So from the earliest text, and I'm gonna quote a little bit from one uh, from um, early Buddhism, uh, Shakyamuni Buddha. And then through, um, through the ancestors, the third ancestor verses on the faith mind, Dogen, um, Colvin has a few words on self-view. So from Shakyamuni Buddha's early words, the Sutta Nipata, a person shouldn't be dependent on what's seen, heard, or sensed, or on precepts or practices. Shouldn't take themselves to be equal and shouldn't think of themselves as inferior or superlative. A person doesn't fall back on any view whatsoever. So that seems so radical to me. Um, not have any view whatsoever, that, is, that implies to me a radical kind of trust, which is what we cultivate in our practice of meditation, simply sitting still, trusting that we have this place, regardless of our, of our propensities and actually what we carry in terms of greed, hatred, and delusion, we also have 
this place of love and wisdom, compassion. So these two strands run through us, or these braided strands. So how to how to keep in touch with the with the deeper one, which is I believe actually the stronger one. Um, I know that could be argued and would be by many people, evidence notwithstanding. But there's plenty of evidence of, of wisdom, love, and compassion in our world as well, if we choose to focus on that. So another, another ancestor talks about so few um, verses on the faith mind. Um, Sen, Sen Sang says, the great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. When love and hate are both absent, everything becomes clear and undisguised. To set up what you like against what you don't like is the dis-ease of the mind. When the deep meaning of things is not understood, the mind's essential peace is disturbed to no avail. So the practice of sitting gets us in touch with the place of deep peace and um, and then we can just see what arises to disturb it. Um, one of my teachers in the insight tradition, Ajahn Sumedho, said, somebody asked him a question, well, um, what should I do when I get off on some obsessive thought or something? It was just look and see uh, what comes up to dis that's disturbing your mind and then let that go and see the next thing that comes up, which may not be a disturbance, but maybe, maybe something else entirely. It may be you have a deep knowing, one moment from the next. It happens like that often. Going from feeling you're gonna go crazy with some problem to, oh, yes, there's this, this. This too is here. Um, so that trust I spoke of a minute ago, also part of another thing that came up yesterday about forgiving oneself. We engage in self-forgiveness. I wanted to say a, another sentence or two about that because Self-forgiveness is essential to forgiving others, to not, to not judging others, to not, I mean, forget, really we're judging ourselves if we feel like we have something to forgive. And sometimes we make mistakes, we have mistakes and lapses all the time, but that doesn't mean that we failed in any way. It's just part of the way things are. So accepting that and trusting that, and that lets, lets us move on, that lets us be in the next moment, which may something entirely new, new or different may be calling to us. 
So Dogen says in regulations for the auxiliary cloud hall. So it was instructions to his monastic sangha, but also to all of us. Um, do not be concerned with the faults of other persons. Do not see others' faults with a hateful mind. Do not imitate others' faults. Just cultivate virtue. Buddha prohibited unwholesome actions, but did not tell us to hate those who practice unwholesome actions. So forgiving of self, forgiving of other. So it, it, it sounds good, like, yeah, what we have that and how we do it. And I mean, it's, uh, we'd all love to just be there, but it's, it's difficult. How do we be steady? How do we actually do it? How do we be steady when um, the mind's peace is disturbed, when it, there's an earthquake, when the ground is shaking or the trees are falling around? when the fires come, when we have trouble with our family or our work, relationships, or in our sangha we have trouble. When the capitals attacked by our fellow citizens, or when we simply have the chance in our own lives to get in touch with our deep fear or anger, or sadness or grief or how do we do this so there's um again it's we each figure this out now the story of buddha when he was when he knew he was going to die and um was had told his sangha and talked to his monastics and said, you know, I'm I'm going to go, so uh, I've I've left. You know, he gave a couple of talks about this, but essentially he said, and this is a famous um, quotation from Buddha. Essentially, he said, "Be a lamp unto yourselves. I've left you everything. I've told you everything." that I know and, um, and, and you have listened and you know that for yourself. So keep on practicing and be a lamp unto yourselves. Be your own guides. We have a tendency as human beings to, to want to reify, to want to project uh, that someone else will have the answers. Uh, our Buddha ancestors, we make icons out of them. We, you know, our teachers, um, um, starts with our parents, perhaps. We do this on every level. Um, our political figures. But I believe the transformation comes and it is my experience that only when we get to that place of really knowing that we are a lamp for ourselves and that we can we can um, have scope for action even 
know what to do in any moment or in a broader sense, in a larger sense, what to contribute to, where to do any kind of action, sangha, service, political action, when we really have been in touch with that and know we can move on from clinging to a view that this person is right or wrong or to a view that I'm wrong and oh, I didn't do it right again. So deep trust and faith. And we can directly experience this. That's why we do keep coming back. It, it, it keeps on going on, the experience of this faith and trust. We keep broadening it and deepening it. That's why we show up. We have all these reminders in practice that um, that call us to remember our nature, the coming together, our, our service, our study. Um, whatever we might do, these things help us. What, what we choose to engage in the most um, to deepen and broaden our understanding and our work in the world. The precepts, I like that precept, no blaming others, praising self. That points to you know, how we, what those early Buddhist texts said, not elevating ourselves above others, not <clears throat> and not even being equal to, just moving from the moment of, of really engaging with someone that we're, or a group of people that we're in touch with. You know, so simply put, or one way to put it is, let go of your wrong and I'm right. Um, or more simply, just relinquish, um, I'm right. I mean, if you let go of I'm right, the, the you're wrong kind of disappears. Or as uh, Norm Fisher says, the essence of Zen practice is not being selfish. <laughs> That's really succinct. Is not being selfish. And of course, that selfish can be taken on many levels. So we also have the help of our bodhisattva vows. We're signing up to help others and to see our own, to help ourselves and to see our blindnesses and our weaknesses, our mistakes, our lapses, to see where we go. Um, and as difficult as it may be, which is what we talked a lot about yesterday, to look at these things, that's the place where we see how much, uh, how, how deep we are and how broad we are. So we're really signing up for being open and kind to others and being honest with ourselves and others. 
So it's not to say that it's um, that it's easy. And uh, all of the Buddhist ancestors that I mentioned, none of them said it was easy either. <laughs> what they said were things like, what they say the most, <laughs> you can do it. And then Buddha says, see for yourself. Uh, don't waste time. And it's up to you. So you can and look and dedicate and you can do it. So um, that's some of what I brought today. I thank you for your kind attention and I look forward to hearing what you have to share. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for such a wonderful talk. I had some comments uh, and a question. Um, first of all, the comment, I, I came a little bit late. And so but during, the, um, during the break after the ceremony, I tried to steal 10 minutes of meditation as we were, as we were outside. And I saw the turkeys stroll again and I had the exact same thought. And they're just like us. <laughs> Look at them strolling. Very pleasant and surprising to hear that in the talk. Um, and then uh, also, I, I was this week. I was thinking about the same thing that you mentioned that there is um, there is these two braids um, that seem to be innate in our nature. Uh, there is a tendency for greed, anger, and delusion, and then there is a capacity for love, compassion empathy and, uh, and these, these seem to be intertwined. And then you mentioned that uh, it, is, it is our, we can choose the former and then oh, choose the latter, I'm sorry. And that the latter comes from a deeper place um, and it seems to be the case, but then, but here's, here's the question. So the question, the question is that That, that, that I see that there is, um, that it is like all views seem to be imperfect and, and no view seem to be the way. But then when you say no view, then you're choosing no view. And then you're choosing virtue. And then you're choosing the way. So there is a preference inherent in not, not preference. There's a there's a there's a choice inherent even in trust or and there's a choice in virtue. But then I tell myself that virtue is the natural way, it's the deeper way. So trust it. So 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 that is kind of the dilemma. Uh, is there um, is there a choice or is there no choice? Um, when Dogen says no preferences and 
preferences is the disease of the mind. But he's like, there is a preference. There is an innate deep rest. There is innate deep choice. Or do you think there is no choice and it's just natural? Thank you. Uh, Karen, as, uh, as often you, you put your finger on a, on a, uh, on a logical kind of uh, disconnect, at least kind of a, a Western logic that we're used to. So there is an aspect of, of th this practice that we're engaged in that is kind of beyond the, uh, the dualities of language, which are inherently divisive. Um, whenever you say one thing and, you know, there's, it, it just divides it. So, and this has been the topic of, of deep reflection and thought and writing by many of the ancestors that I didn't mention, Nagarjuna. So is there a choice or not? So that's a really essential question. And um, I kind of cut the cake both ways. So I say there, I say one little mantra I had for years was that uh, the causes of happiness are present in every moment and we can always choose. So I do believe we have a choice. There's often, and we mentioned this a little yesterday, there's this pausing, stepping back from a self view. So not to, in order to see that the causes, what cause of happiness might be present, we have to step back from where our mind immediately goes to say, oh, this is right, especially in relations with others. You know, when someone says something that you disagree with, or that's perhaps threatening in some way, or um, the mind tends to go like, oh, that person's wrong and I'm right. But there's always a way that we can see to be in shig, for example, in relation. And it doesn't mean that, again, that we, that we will always do that. But there is a level at which we have an embodied experience that's, so even getting up here and even sitting up here and talking uh, is already kind of perhaps um, saying too much. It's part, of our, it's part of our practice too though. And it's good to talk and to listen, to listen deeply to ourselves and to others. But there is, this experience that um, I think I, I didn't mention that, but, um, but of this going to this place of, of faith and trust that's just a, a deeply embodied energetic experience. And we, we it often, there's no language for it, but we know it. So, so that's my, my response to that a very um, crucial question about choice. Thank you. Pamela? Good to see you. Me too, Carolyn. Thank you for the wonderful, encouraging talk. 
And I think a lot about forgiveness. And I also recognize that even the term um, assumes a victim and a culprit. And I spend some time thinking about who's the victim and who's the culprit. And somewhere beneath those identities, there is no need to forgive. There is nothing to forgive. For me, I find that it's just kind of an, an open place of compassion that is not forgiveness because forgiveness has this extra layer, I think. So I'm a little concerned about that layer that it supposes fault. There's a built-in fault with forgiveness. So I've been working on this in my own because I'm often the perpetrator and uh, sometimes the victim. And both of those roles seem like, who, who is that? And it's not the person that's here right now. So I just wanted to know if you had any um, observations about this. Thank you. Well, thank you for making that really wonderful point about uh, language and how, and the, and this do this particular duality, the, the perpetrator and the victim. That really it can be quite clarifying. I think what I totally agree and what um, that, that where you're in that place. Um, they mentioned a current that's beyond language and what you said also, it's beneath, it's below. It's just when you're in that place of trust and faith, if you will, in, in yourself and in the whole situation because um, we have to trust ourselves, but really we're trusting the whole world. So I think that's the, I just would say, I think that's the place you're, you're referring to and that that's, uh, it's beautiful that, that you bring that in and especially to clarify those two, um, du that duality about forgiveness. Thank you so much. Uh, Carolyn? Oh, uh, Randy. Okay, yeah. I didn't know if you're hearing me or no. I, I never trust these things. So anyway, <laughs> um, I, I think what you, you're talking at the beginning of, about really, you know, how not really knowing or, or sensing how far our practice extends into the world. And, and I started, what came up in me is kind of a, how... It came back to the, my whole world of teaching high school and then actually being a high school student and being touched by people that were not Buddhist, were not practicing, were, uh, you know, were just people being who they are. And I remember a high school teacher telling me, he says, we never know what we do, how far that extends into the future, into life. We just don't know. But I remember even, this is a long time ago, uh, certain teachers and certain moments in high school, just who they were 
or what they said, uh, and extends also into my current life, but just how, um, yeah, I was touched and moved in a certain way to, to, uh, uh, to think about something else or just how they were, their strength or, or whatever. So, yeah, I, I think this, it, that the thing of who we are going out into the world and just being with the person at the checkout stand or, or whatever, uh, um, your thing of the practice extends into the world. It is, it is so, it's there, but it's so, I don't know what the word is, vague or un, can't, can't pin it down and measure it, which we like to do. And so anyway, that was, uh, that was, um, yeah, that was, uh, you, you know, it's like, there's the question, why the hell do we do this, you know? sometimes it's, it seems meaningless some, at some moments in my life uh, but there is you know but other moments uh, most of the moments no there is a sense of meaning but it is it's that back and forth back and forth but uh, yeah but the, your, your thing how far the practice extends into the world is a good thing to think about and so thank you uh, yeah that was a that was a good talk for uh, it was very current. What's you know the world and stuff like that. So okay, thanks, Carolyn. Thank you, Randy. Um, I um, I I agree with you also that I don't think that um, this is human. It's a Buddha nature is human nature and, and it, you don't have to be a practicing Buddhist, but, um, but we are here, those of us who are gathered here uh, in some sense, even if we come for the first time and we may not go on or, or we've gone on for years and decades and we keep doing it because we keep um, being encouraged by the breadth and the depth that, that, that we, know um, is possible for us and there are many thank you for sharing your your stories and um, your teachers and it's ordinary people just being attuned to that so whenever we walk around in our lives thank you so much randy and karen um todd and then Ave. Randy, what's his name? Randy. Teacher, so it made me think of being a father because I sense that the teaching gets on parallel there quite a lot. <clears throat> and uh, what I realized was uh, deeply, as you might imagine, appreciate what you talked about with words and Karen's it seemed about duality really cause and effect but with teaching it seemed to me what came to my mind the most effect that I had with my nurturing of these little human beings was an example living talking living what I would say maybe, or what I believed in, but living it. And that has uh, 
it's more than just talking. It's much more. I just wanted to mention, also I had this perfect segue I really felt like all these turkeys, which I really appreciated when they started out. I figured out how to keep them in suspense. So if anybody wants to know. <laughs> okay, that can be a, an outside Zendo topic. Thank yeah. you very much for, for well, bringing maybe. I don't know. Or you can talk about it now if you want. I find myself in great suspense right now. <laughs> <laughs> So you're keeping them in suspense? I'll tell you later. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was imagining like we would we would follow you to where the turkeys are and then you would show us. So that's why I, was... I just did that. Not mine. It was just perfect with turkeys. <laughs> well, it's what you have. Thank you for pointing that out, Todd. It's the modeling, modeling yeah. example is um, is really how is really how we learn, and it's one reason the forms of, of Zen support us so yeah. well. I think to yeah. to really see how people totally comport right. themselves and yeah. are and and are paying attention, being aware of the form. So it's really thankful, thankful for bringing that in. Hi, Carolyn. Uh, corn, as usual, put my mind in a spin. I mean, it gave a corn. It was like a corn to me. And uh, I've been, as people have been talking, Multiple things have come up about it, but I, uh, I just want to say a couple of things, and and uh, maybe you can you can like uh, clarify it because I do have a question here someplace. You know, uh, uh, the teaching is no fixed views. The teaching is not no views. So it seems like there's a stage where we have to have views, we have to have precepts, we have to. Uh, love, compassion, wisdom, all these things, we have to have a view of it. And Buddha said, be a lamp onto yourself, reflect on the effect of not cultivating love, compassion, and wisdom, or the effect of cultivating greed, hatred, and ignorance around you, like a scientist who he was. And uh, then at the same time, the teaching of Zen is like no fixed views which is more like don't know mind. This is like an open space of awareness. So we cultivate then the views. We try to live in accord with the views. And then at some point, we drop the views. Like, and we feel this in our sitting sometimes, but we keep coming back. I mean, at least, you know, I live in this world. I don't. I don't live in a world of open awareness that I'm not touched by things. But in sitting, we have like this experiences of this kind of thing happening. Uh, so I guess it also comes between relative and absolute. You know, the love, compassion, wisdom. These are relative teachings, relative bodhicitta teachings. In the absolute, there is everything is included. 
So anyway, I just want to say I don't have an answer from uh, Khan gave me a koan and I just I just said some things about it. That's all I'm going to say. And you could please eliminate it. How are you going to eliminate it? Well, actually, in the in the early teachings, there are also no fixed views. So it's um, so that there is a through there's a through line on all of this. But the open spaces, if you use the language of uh, relative and absolute, and the open the open space or open awareness that we can access there there really is it there really isn't a language for it that's why for example Nagarjuna is so uh so compelling at least to me because he recognized that there's no language so he just presented all these all these uh no language puns and conundrums and koans uh for us to consider um but, but I think you touched on the essential thing about the, um, you, you know, you when you, you feel it sometimes, that's what I heard you say. And when you feel that, uh, that's, a, that's a feeling that you don't, you don't have to put language on it. When you hear, uh, when, you, when you see someone's, and this has happened to me and probably to many of us, you see a little, kid darts out between two cars in the street and you can, you know, yell at him or what, whatever and say, get back. I mean, the, you move from the place where there is that awareness and there is that compassion uh, and the need for action. So you're not, you're not analyzing it. You're not thinking about the relative and absolute. You're just going there. You know, that's... Um, so it's in a sense becoming, I don't know if this is clarifying it, but it's becoming more and more familiar and at ease with that place that's beyond language. So that we do live and from there and become models and teachers, all of us, which we are anyway, you know, in our lives. And, and as Randy pointed out, I, I definitely believe Buddhists don't have a, a lock on this. They have a way of they have a way of looking at it and a way of practicing with it. But so and that's also the history of uh, humankind. We we're always been seeking to be more in touch with this place. So um, hope that uh, gave you another koan to work with. <laughs> Yes, Carolyn. Uh, I want to thank you for uh, bringing up the classic uh, Chinese Zen scripture verses of faith, faith mind by the third patriarch, the Sing Sing Ming. And you said there, the great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. And I think uh, that's what Kavi was just talking about. I'm in the middle of reading this book, the I Never Sleeps commentary on that. And he says, 
part of the problem is holding back. He said, we can understand, if we understood this, to understand, to have uh, the great way is not difficult. If we have no preferences, if we understood that 100%, we would be there. But we understand it 99% and we're not quite through the door. And, you know, the truth is right there in front of us. The oneness is of everything is right there, but we have to believe it 100%, not 99.99%. So I think somewhere in here, Kaveh may be the answer, but you'd have to read the book. You have to come visit me and I'll, I'll give it to you. <laughs> Thank you, Bob. <laughs> okay, Bob, what was the name of the book? Sorry. What was the name of the book? I gotta read that book. What was it? <laughs> Thanks. Thank the you. The audience leaves. There's a pun in there as well, so uh, <laughs> so we can go with that a lot of ways. But thank you, Bob. And I, you know, for me, it's uh, the the other. That's why we keep practicing. It's that it's that one one hundredth of one percent because we we have felt it. We do know it. We just keep getting more familiar with it. Uh, <laughs> Me too. Um, so with the topic that's come up a few times in the group today, uh, no being and preferences, I just want to be clear on something because I guess I'm trying to unpack what desire and need is in connection to view or preferences because I, I, I like to make maybe a, a real life example what it what I mean by needs versus even preference. So so in the beginning of the week as I began my stay here uh, I, I started camping. So the first night I had two choices of sleep systems. I had a lightweight sleeping bag and I had a more heavyweight sleeping bag. And I opted for the lightweight sleeping bag the first night because I thought that it was a warm evening and that I would be comfortable enough with it. And it turns out I wasn't and I was cold. So as an average human being, I prefer to be comfortable and I prefer to be warm so that I can sleep well and I can have uh, a better day, whatever that is, and a better feeling day, just my thought processes are better to sleep better. So, so that's an, a genuine need. And I, I, don't, I don't know if that is something that is an exception to this whole not having a thought about it or a view about it or a preference about it or not. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. Because yes. again, it's I took care of that need. I had a preference. And, you know, I've been having a better week by making sure my sleep system provides enough warmth for me at night so that I can have a, a good night's rest. Thank you. I would say that's a, that's 
that's paying attention that's that's awareness and that's that's the practice so we have to make choices and there's there's also karen brought up choice and what is we do have to make choices all the that's part of being human we have to make choices all the time so uh another word that kave highlighted was the fixed you know and we talked a little bit about this yesterday that the clinging to the that's what really the stickiness but just being aware of one's where oneself is that sounds like wisdom to me i mean you were aware you made a choice you you tried one thing and then you you realize like i'm you know whatever thought process you went through you knew that uh, you knew that intuitively so um I don't think it's a view. Often views are in relation to outside and inside self and other. So maybe that's a clue too to the to uh, and in fact uh, to verses on the faith mind because he says that when love and hate are both absent, everything becomes clear and undisguised. So this is a translation, and I know there's the word love in there. So we could say compassion, which expresses itself sometimes as love, but but not the clinging kind of love. So when when but making but have, making choices about what's healthy for us and about or for others or or more maybe mundane choices that those aren't really views i wouldn't say or certainly not fixed views it's when we have to have our sleeping bag and if something happens and we don't have it for whatever reason how can we adjust to that so that would that would be maybe the practice if, um, but certainly choosing the wise thing at the time i don't see that that's a problem of fixed view so we're trying to Exactly. Flexible is an excellent word. So like um, Qigong, there's a there's a movement called, and in fact, there's a Zen center called this locally, bamboo in the wind. <laughs> you just, you know, you're, you're fixed, you're stable, you're solid, but you're able to go with the circumstances. And of course, we're humans, we have more agency, we think, than bamboo does. But that's, uh, that's, the, that's a nice poetic uh, metaphor. I just heard the, um, the Tenzo is calling us. So <laughs> to be continued. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by Jokoji Zen Center. Our Dharma talks are offered free of charge and this is made possible by the donations we receive. Your support helps us to continue to offer the Dharma. For more information about Jikoji, please visit us on the web at jikoji.org.